Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 113. Today's episode is all about finding your micro purpose and going for it. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you are new to the Bits of Gold podcast, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more incredible guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live a life with more purpose. Now let's get to it. In our life, I believe we choose to give meaning to things, and the things we choose to give meaning to ultimately become our focus and our purpose, and I believe we all have a purpose, and our purpose typically evolves and morphs and becomes different things at different points in our life. I wouldn't expect your purpose in your teens to be your same purpose in your 20s, to be the same purpose in your 30s, and so on and so forth, and at certain points in our life, our purpose can be extremely clear. We know exactly what we want, we put our blinders on, and we just go for it. Other times, it's not as clear. You need to try a lot of different things. You need to get out there, experiment, explore, figure out the things you like, the things you don't like, figure out the things that bring you energy, and figure out how and where you want to spend your time. And that's typically a great starting point to try to figure out what you want your purpose to be. But regardless, once you determine how and where you want to spend your time, you need to go for it. Life is too short to sit on the sidelines and not jump at your dreams. And on today's episode, that is exactly what we'll be discussing, finding your micro purpose and going for it. Today, my guest is Doug Budin. Doug is the co-founder of Halo Top Ice Cream. Halo Top really needs no introduction at all. I can almost guarantee that 99% of people who are tuning in, if not 100%, are very familiar with Halo Top. In just a few short years, he and his team grew the ice cream brand to $300 million in sales, becoming the number one selling ice cream in the U.S., outselling the likes of Ben & Jerry's, Haagen-Dazs, and Breyers. Halo Top sold the business in 2019, after which Doug spun out Halo Top's international operations in a Halo Top International, where he currently serves as a CEO. In 2021, Doug and the other original Halo Top team members founded Gatsby Chocolate, the first ever and only low-calorie chocolate brand that's positioned to disrupt the chocolate category, much like Halo Top disrupted the ice cream category. I have to tell you, this is not an ad. I've been eating this Gatsby chocolate now for weeks, and it is freaking delicious. I put them in the freezer, and almost every night, I find myself eating half a chocolate bar. Now, they are so low-calorie that you can even eat the entire chocolate bar, and you won't feel bad about yourself. You won't feel bad. Uh, In fact, you'll feel quite amazing because the chocolate is absolutely amazing. So I highly recommend checking them out at GatsbyChocolate.com. And now let's welcome Doug to the show. Doug, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. So excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me on. Co-founder of Halo Top, you need no introduction, grew it to 300 million sales, became the number one selling ice cream in the U.S., outselling Ben & Jerry's, Haagen-Dazs, Breyers. I mean, just absolutely crazy. And you've recently launched Gatsby here. And these chocolate bars are insanely delicious. They're also so low calorie. I know that much of what you're building now is kind of aligned with 
when you first started building Halo Top. And I've been eating my way through these chocolate bars night after night, day after day. I'm sure you get that all the time. But it's funny whenever I see a healthy brand and I find my way eating through the entire bag or the entire bar or three bars and all of a sudden it's no longer so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quantity uh, can get in the way there. Thank you so much for having me. And those are kind of the uh, the headlines for the intro. But yeah, on Gatsby, it's a similar value proposition to Halo Top, as you said. I think for us, we're trying to take all the lessons learned and we kind of get to say, hey, if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know now, how would you do it? So it's, it's a really cool and, and unique experience for me and, and the rest of the team, most of which are original Halo Top employees as well. That's such an awesome place to be. Just to jump into that, is the pitch with Gatsby similar? Just you want to be the lowest calorie, best tasting chocolate bar or chocolate brand? What's like the vision there? Yeah, so the background was, it's part of uh, this company called Halo Top International, which part of our sale, which we can get into, but we essentially sold the US business. And then I spun out the international business and brought along a number of employees with me. One of the things we started soon after that was Gatsby chocolate, but we kind of asked ourselves, we have a non-compete in ice cream, pretty obviously for the US market after we sold, but we said, hey, what else can we do in the US market to kind of get back into the game and looked at a number of different categories, but we settled on chocolate because you kind of already hinted it. There is no other low calorie chocolate. Even the low sugar chocolates are literally double, twice as many calories as Gatsby chocolate. So that was the big opening that we saw in the space. And we then spent over a year developing the recipe because it's one thing to see a gap and it's another to say, hey, can you create a product that actually tastes good, that actually is melt in your mouth chocolate with no compromise on taste? And, and I think it's funny you say that if you had tried our product about a year ago, it was not very good. So we, we have spent a lot of time developing and reformulating to get it to where it is now. So thank you for, uh, for saying what you did about it. And, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. By and large, yes, most people, uh, virtually everybody who tries it now is pretty blown away by just how darn good it is for, uh, for the calories. Yeah, I actually have put them all in the freezer and I've been eating it almost like you would, like I guess a frozen ice cream bar and I can like suck on the peanut butter bar. It <laughs> tastes like frozen peanut butter stick. It's so freaking good. I'm going to steal that idea. I have not done that yet, but that sounds awesome. Oh, you got to try that. The peanut butter cups too, frozen, mm, so good. Love it. <laughs> Must be like an interesting place to have this opportunity to rebuild with, it sounds like very much the co-founding team or the early members of Halo Top. What have you taken from the lessons about growth at Halo Top to build Gatsby? And what's that like? It's almost like you have this, this unique opportunity to rebuild with all the lessons that you learned from your first venture to now. A hundred percent. That's what's most exciting about it for me. And it's been, so we sold Halo Top at the end of 2019. So this team and I, we've been together a little more than two years, going on two and a half years now. And I really feel like just recently, within the last couple of months, it's been kind of two years in the making or so where we, we set the foundation, rebuilt or reset a company culture and a company mission. And then through, like I said, really a couple of years building month in, month out, quarter in, quarter out on different kind of cultural developments, on different strategic developments for the company. We kind of just have built this amazing thing together where I feel like, again, last couple of months, we've broken through as a team and have really started to kind of transcend. I just read Phil Jackson's uh, book called 11 Rings, and he's got all kinds of different phrases for this. But one of the things he talks about is he calls it phase five of tribal leadership. And when you get to this phase five, it, it almost transcends where you go from a team that's me against you is phase three, us against them is phase four, and phase five is us against us. It's a really great feeling. 
it's a really special thing. And I think it's very hard for most teams to get there. I think most championship teams are kind of in that us against them mentality. But if you get to that, it's only us against us. It's a really special place to be. Long time in the making, uh, taking again, all those lessons learned from Halo Top, which we can get into. But the main thing was we had this growth at Halo Top hit us out of nowhere. And exponentially, we went from 2 million in sales in 2015 to north of 350 million retail sales in 2017. So that's a two-year period. And that's crazy. If you don't have a foundation in place, if you don't have kind of cultural pillars, if you don't have a clear mission, it's just very hard. Number one, it's hard to just scale just to make enough product to supply that demand. But beyond that, scaling a team, when you go from just two or three of you to a hundred in two years, it's just really tough to do that without, you know, having a, a really solid foundation in place. So we're now, it's a team of 20, which I like. It's more intimate. You know, it, we all know each other. We all know each other's families and there's a real camaraderie to it. And it, it's the most special, coolest, best thing I've ever been a part of. And that includes old Halo Top. That's amazing. I want to get into the Halo Top story in just a minute. But before that, obviously you had this massive success. You just hit upon it. Like you scaled to 300 million in sales it within, I know once it took a while to get things going, but you went from, what did you say, 2 million to 300 million in one year's time? Two years. Yeah. So we went from two to 50 to, to 350 in, in retail sales. So just crazy. So now that you're rebuilding or building a new business in Gatsby, is it easier to build that business because of the previous success that you had? Or when you say a startup's a startup and it's always hard, you need to always be grinding and hustling from the beginning because some people might you know, look at your previous business in Halo Top and say, oh, anything you touch will be golden now. Is that a myth or would you say that it's always going to be hard to, to build any startup? It's always going to be hard. I definitely had romanticized the early days. I can't wait to get back to, you know, the grind and, you know, the trade shows and farmers markets and demos. I definitely romanticized that and forgotten just how hard it is and just how much of a grind it is. I will say, on the one hand, it's easier because I don't have to have outside investors now. I can capitalize it myself, which is a huge raising money, I think, is one of the hardest things for any startups, us included, for the original Halo Top. That's number one, which is easier. And then two, credibility is our currency now because you know we can say that we're the co-founder of Halo Top and original Halo Top team members going to do to chocolate what we did to ice cream. That works really well with manufacturers. It works really well with retailers when you're dealing with like buyers and grocery stores. Consumers don't care really or don't know as much. So I think you can't ever lose sight of what matters first and foremost is your product. And you better create a product that is of a quality that retains virtually everybody who tries it. If you don't do that, it's just not worth the time, the effort, and the money to try to create a CPG business out of it. So I think that was a huge learning for us. But, you know, it took us three years at Halo Top to rebrand and reformulate. It took us three months at Gatsby. I mean, that, that's part of the learnings is, you know, when you know, you know, and we knew it wasn't good enough when we first started, both on a branding and a product standpoint. So we just went back to the drawing board and finally got it to where it is now. Makes complete sense. You know, obviously you could have done just probably about anything after the, the sale of Halo, of Halo Top. And I'm sure, you know, you're pitched probably a ton of ideas on a regular basis, weekly basis, whether it be to invest in, partner, maybe come join. Was there a piece of you or any part of you that thought, like, why do you choose to go into chocolate or continue to double down in the same category that you've been in? Did you have any thought process of doing something completely different? I'm curious what made you choose to stay in the, the same category that you've been building in? Yeah, definitely had a lot of options. 
for me, it really comes down to what do I want to do in life? We kind of talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but we're all on expiring contracts. And there's that famous quote, I think it's attributed to Buddha, where you know he says something uh, along the lines of, what's the biggest lie we always tell ourselves? We have time. And so I think for me, it was trying to think through, hey, how do I want to spend my time? And it was pretty clear to me, number one, it's very much a family company. Like I have my brothers, my brother-in-law, my best friend, and all the other team members. Like we are truly friends and really, really close. There's nothing more special than working with people who you care about and who care about you and really pushing each other and challenging each other to bring the best out of you individually and then collectively as the team. I think it's the, it's the coolest thing ever. I don't care what we do. I care just about working with this group of people as long as we possibly can because it's so much fun and it's so rewarding. I think for us, chocolate ended up being the lowest hanging fruit. Again, there wasn't anything else in the space that was low calorie. We obviously have the experience from Halo Top in this industry. We definitely have made plenty of mistakes, to be clear, still, and plenty of bumps in the road. But yeah, I, I think for us, I didn't really care so much what it was. I, I know I didn't want to metaphorically retire and go sit on an island somewhere. I really wanted to get back into this and, and hopefully continue to impact people's lives positively. Most importantly, the team members who are in this grind with me every single day. So it sounds like for you, who you work with is almost more important than what you're actually working on. 100%. I say this quite literally, I do not care what the work is. We could be in the tech industry, we could be in a services industry, we could be selling sand on a beach. We wouldn't be very successful doing that because uh, that's not a great product that gets back to the product quality and products must retain. But as long as it's with this group of people, that's all I care about. That's so interesting. You know, I think a lot of people try to find or figure out what their purpose is or what they're supposed to do next. Or, you know, I think some people who are unhappy with maybe the job that they're in try to say, how can I do something that's of greater purpose? It's interesting to hear the emphasis around how much weight you put in just you just want to work with people you want to work with and that sort of sounds like that's like the the greatest weight that you put in terms of your decision process around what to build next 100% i also think about the dichotomy between a lot of people kind of split up their work life and their personal life and to me life is life i want to enjoy all of it and be fulfilled just as much in work as i am at home and vice versa and i want the whole team to feel that way and to be just that fulfilled. There's just nothing better than being part of a team, obviously being one of the leaders on the team. Like I, I love everything about it. There's a ton of responsibility that goes along with that, but I, I really relish the responsibility and, and even pressure sometimes because the stakes are high. People's livelihoods are at stake and that, that's important. That's not to be taken lightly. Would you say that you always had the dream of becoming an entrepreneur or the idea of, or like the emphasis around who you work with being of great importance, was that something that was instilled in you as a young kid? Was that something you, you learned to develop? I'm curious, where did that come from for you? I think I've matured in the sense, so I think it's gone from when I was a kid, this is a similar sentiment here. I kind of was very much of the person that I don't care what anybody thinks about me, period, full stop. Like, I just don't care. Think what you want. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That matured into now where it's like, if you don't know me, I really don't care what you think about me, but I do care what the people close to me think about me. And I want to make sure I don't let them down with, you know, my behavior, with my actions, with anything like that. Similarly, I think when I started at Halo Top and kind of jumped into entrepreneurship, it was very much selfish, or at least 
self-centered or, or singular in the sense of I, I just wanted, I'm maniacally independent and I just wanted to be my own boss, period, full stop. Whereas now that's matured more into, yes, I'm still maniacally independent. Yes, I still want to be my own boss, of course, but I now really, there's nothing more rewarding for me than hopefully helping everybody else reach an even greater potential than they knew was possible for them and hopefully give them the freedom financially and otherwise to do whatever they want to do in life and, and to help their friends, their family, their communities, and, and to give back in that way. I think that's, that's where I'm at now. And, and that's probably where, where I'll be. But again, I think it started back in 2013. It was just, I want to do what I want to do. I'm maniacally independent. I don't want to report to anybody. I don't want to have a boss. That'll always be me at the core. But now, you know, there's certainly more of a collective spirit about it now. Did that stem from like parent telling you they're saying is like, you can either help others build their dreams or have others help you build your dreams. Did that stem from a mentor or a person telling you this? Or was that just from your own experience, like in the working world? And you're like, yeah, this, this isn't really for me. I don't know. I'm really close to my parents, but we're not. My mom was raised Jewish. My dad, I think, was raised Episcopalian. They didn't raise us as anything. And I'm atheist, but I was a theology major. Like, I'm fascinated by the big questions. Why are we here? What's our purpose? I, I love thinking about those things. I love dissecting. I love talking about it. I've got a book that I found in my childhood bedroom, you know, when I was in, I don't know, seventh grade, where like I was journaling about the big questions and, you know, writing down one, why are we here? You know, two, what's our purpose? You know, that kind of thing. And ever since I was little, I'm just maybe because I didn't have that religious upbringing, which might answer those questions in what seems like a definitive way when you're a kid, because I didn't have that. I was kind of floating around searching for it and I think in searching for that lifelong purpose, which again, I'm still searching for and probably will always be searching for, you know, to my satisfaction. But I think maybe that kind of constant search and desire to learn and keep learning and trying to help myself and then other people, you know, just figure it out and, and get the most out of life to your point again, that time is an illusion. That's what Einstein says. We think we have time. And I feel so passionate now about really just trying to help again, myself and others try to get the most out of what we're doing. So I want to circle back to that. One thing I want to touch upon, I know that early on in your career, your first job out of school, I know that you went to UVA, one of the most prestigious law schools in the country. You had an amazing starting job as a lawyer. I'm very curious to discuss a little bit around how soon you realized that being a lawyer wasn't for you. It sounds like fairly quickly, but also just how you navigated actually taking that leap. Because I know that there are so many people who have a dream, a desire, a goal, but they sort of stay in their comfort zone or play it safe and never really take that leap. I'd love to discuss that a little bit because obviously going to law school is both a, a time commitment, a financial commitment. I'm fascinated that you had the the wherewithal, the self-awareness to go that route and then decide, hey, you know what, this actually isn't for me and actually take the leap? It's a great question. I think in a lot of ways, go back to my parents because although they paid for my college or tuition, you know, I didn't have an allowance. So I worked three jobs in college. I was one of the people who scanned uh, your card as you went into the dorms. I was part of this like after school program for kids and I was a math tutor. And that continued on in law school, but in law school, I paid for it. So I had about 200000 in student loan debt coming out, but I, I never, ever viewed it as a risk. I, I will bet on myself every single time. But when I left, it was a huge risk. I had 200000 student loan debt. I had about twenty-five, maybe 30000 in my checking account. 
and I had, you know, at least a 2000, maybe 2,500 a month rent payment. I was living on the beach in LA at the time. The law firm job paid us about 200 grand or more. I mean, it was a huge job with, you know, a ton of money. I will say in my exit interview, I remember this, your question made me think of it. Pippa, who was my partner mentor, she said, the moment you walked in here, we knew you were gone. And we were just trying to get the most out of you while you were here. And I was there for all of a year or so. So I knew, I think everybody who ever interacted with me knew that I was just going to do my own thing. I just, I guess I just kind of have that inherent independence. And again, I credit my parents because it'd be really hard to take that leap without the support from them. And they didn't support me financially at all. Uh, In hindsight, maybe I'll tell them that financial support would have helped too. But I will say what mattered so much more than saying, hey, we'll, we'll lend you 10 grand, 50 grand or something like that was the encouragement. You should quit that law firm job. You should go hang your own shingles, what they say, because I, I actually started, you know, just on the side hustling as a startup lawyer as well, just to make ends meet when we were early days of Halo, of Halo Top. So without their encouragement, without their support, I think that would have been a heck of a lot harder. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs don't have that. They have the parents that want them to be in their white collar job that they can brag to their own friends about. And my parents are just never like that. Like we grew up in a really small town in rural Virginia. There wasn't like a country club lifestyle. There weren't private schools, or at least we didn't go to any private schools. We just weren't raised that way. And and um, I'm really fortunate for my parents and also, I guess, the town that I come from, which is called Green County, Virginia. It's right outside of Charlottesville where UVA is. But those two things, I think the town and my parents number one, kind of keep you humble and down to earth, but also really instill some confidence in you when it you can make those tough decisions. I'll, I'd encourage everybody, and I always say this, when anybody says, hey, what's what's the one piece of advice you give? It's take that leap, make the jump, because you'll find every excuse not to, and there'll be great excuses. Don't get me wrong. You know, I had a bunch of student loan debt, $200,000 corporate law job. You know, how am I going to go on? That was the beginning. Yeah, that was the beginning, <laughs> yeah. And how am I going to go on dates? When I met my now wife, we started dating in 2013 when I was, I had quit and her family, not her parents, but like her aunts and uncles thought I was like literally pushing around an ice cream cart on a beach selling popsicles. <laughs> and it's like, you know, that it's not much to write home about. So, but do it. You'll never regret it. Were you fearful? Were you scared? Never. Again, don't know how to say it other than there's nothing cocky about that. I just, I've always had the mentality that I can get money when I need money. and. I love to spend money. So when I spend it, I'll just get more of it. Like I'm not one to, you know, I just want to save money and count how much money I have. But I, I kind of always had that, that hustle. Like I'll do something, like I said, until I think until 2016, I was still, I had my own law firm and I was bringing in over a hundred grand a year, just doing legal work on the side for again, startups or other attorneys and kind of things. So like I always had that hustle where like I, I'd find a way to get money somehow. And, and like dad told me early on that when I passed the bar, he said, you're taught in law school and even at the law firms that you don't know how to practice law until you work there for five years. And my dad said, as soon as you pass the bar, your bar license is a license to make money. You can charge people for your advice now. And again, that, that just always set my mind. So I, I never had fear. I mean, there were definitely dark days where <laughs> it was like, is this going to work? Or are we going to need to do something else? Or, or maybe even go back to a law firm or something. Those things definitely happened because Halo Top did not, was not an overnight success. But I was never scared about how am I going to get money or make ends meet or, or put food on the table. I just, I trust myself. I was going to figure it out some way, somehow. Just curious, before we jump back into the beginnings of Halo Top, 
How challenging was it to, in some ways, and I don't know if it, they were for you, but you have this opportunity to be on this incredible trajectory as a lawyer, making amazing money and have this very stable career path ahead of you. And you also spent years in school that time. Some people spend four years in college and then spend a decade at a job and they say, oh, I want to leave. I want to pivot. I want to change what I'm doing, but I couldn't possibly leave. I just spent the last 10 years of my life focused on this one thing. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm curious how you thought about, one, walking away from such a stable salary, but also just the time investment alone, like was that something that was challenging for you? Or sounds obviously that you were very confident in your ability to, to go out in the world and make money. But I'm curious how you navigated that aspect of it. Yeah, I think on the time investment, I can start there. I never viewed it as a sunk cost or even a lost cost because I think life is about relationships and it's the relationships you build. So I have lifelong friendships and relationships from law school. I have lifelong relationships from the law firm, even though I was only there for a year or two. And a lot of those relationships are the people who funded Halo Top and who invested in our you know, friends and family rounds and gave us the cash that we needed to get to ultimately where we got to. So the time was never wasted. Once I had the license to practice law, as my dad had told me, that's a license to make money. So, And I used that. So part of when I quit the law firm and joined Halo Top, I opened up my own law firm on the side and that's how I, I helped make ends meet. But it was a pure hustle in the sense of, you know, I was just trying to form an LLC here or help people with their their friends and family financing there. But I, I kind of had that unique perspective where I could say, hey, I'm an operator and I'm doing this myself, but I also have the legal side. So I can advise you and, and probably save you a bunch of time and money that maybe other lawyers can't who haven't operated before. So I was in a pretty unique position to sell myself. I still kind of go back to wondering, you know, what if I just pursued that and, and founded my own law firm kind of thing. I know Charlie Munger did that with Munger uh, Law out in LA, and, and he's famously Warren Buffett's right hand. So I've always kind of thought about that. Maybe I'll, I'll revisit that at some point. I still have my law license, even though I don't practice anymore, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I, never, um, I never viewed the time as a waste. I viewed it as an investment in, in relationships. And just like anything in life, no matter what you do, I think you may as well 
talk to people, meet people, you know, there's good people everywhere. I know there's people who maybe aren't that great too, but that's all right. You know, you can keep them at arm's length and, and find the people who you connect with and have some real depth to your relationships there. So I think that's a great perspective to have. You know, I know a lot of people who, let's just say they, they stay at a job for a decade and they're like, I want to try something new, but they're scared to even take the jump at a new job because this is all they know, or this is where they excel at. I think trying to use that as, hey, I've learned a lot of really good things here and I can apply it to what whatever is next is a great mentality or a great way to approach that. Yeah, there's a concept called, I'm not sure if you heard it. Uh, I read about it, I think from Steve Jobs probably, but called a polymath, where it's basically where you go a mile wide and a mile deep in various subjects. And I think creativity is born from that, where I was a math and theology major in college, which makes no sense, right? And then I was a, a lawyer who made ice cream and now chocolate makes no sense. You know, it's like type A, left brain, right brain kind of thing. But I, I think that's the best is you start, you know, I would make these really logical connections and, and these dense theological texts. And then I would make these kind of creative leaps in mathematical proofs. And I credit kind of one or the other with, with helping me there. So I've, I've always had that. I also get really bored when I'm doing the same thing with the same people over and over and over. So I kind of need that constant intellectual stimulation of something new, something new to learn, something new to study, something new to experience. I think that that's critical. And that certainly prompted me to take the leap and other things like that. Makes complete sense. So let's let's go back to the beginning of Halo Top. I know you went from 2 million to 50 and then 350, but I know it took a while just to get to the, the million dollar mark. Maybe you could share a little bit about the beginnings of Halo Top. Yeah, our first three years, 2013 was our first full operational year. We call the, uh, lovingly call them the dark years, but they were also the best years. So <laughs> outside looking in, they were not the best years. We had a negative gross margin, which means it cost us more to make the product than we could sell it for a period of time, which is, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that's not a great place to be. We're burning through cash. So, you know, as your bank account gets more and more depleted, it's, you know, if you run out of cash, you're done. Cash is gold. So, or cash is king slash queen. So I think that was key or that was stressful as well, I should say. But inside looking out, I have the most fond memories from those years, um, more fond than the, the later years where we really hit it big and, and kind of became this crazy success story. And that's because, you know, it was myself, my former business partner, Justin, and, and my little brother, Ryan, and it was three of us. And we were the three amigos and we were grinding it out and we were, you know, doing everything we could to sell Halo Top everywhere we could. And we were going to farmer's markets. We were going to in-store demos. We were a lot of these famously flopping and failing and, and uh, just hilarious stuff. But the intimacy of that time, there's a purity to it. It's really like the innocence of entrepreneurship, particularly if you haven't done it before. So when you truly are ignorant uh, and naive, and that really helps you because you, you don't know how hard it will be. So you think, hey, this will be easy. We're going to be millionaires. This is going to be great. And, and <laughs> you get into it pretty quickly and realize that's not the case. There's a reason that a lot of people don't do this and, and just how hard it is. But there's such a purity and innocence to that time period that I just can't tell you how fondly I look back on it and, and miss it, frankly. And I, I'm still chasing that. I am certainly admittedly trying to recreate that and chase it, uh, even though, you know, I guess I'll, I'll never be ignorant again of what it takes. What was it like the day that you ultimately surpassed the sales of, of Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's? What was that day like when the sales eclipsed that of those like legacy brands? I'm getting goosebumps. Just you can see them just talking about it. <laughs> It's so surreal when you go from completely unknown to, again, where my wife's family thinks I'm 
selling popsicles on a beach <laughs> to almost overnight because the two-year period went by like that you know almost overnight to this crazy success where yeah we outsold haagen and ben and jerry it's indescribable the appreciation you have for it though comes from those three years four years that we had of complete of terrible terrible years of just hell you know where we got discontinued where we lost half of our store count where we weren't even called Halo Top. We were called Eden Creamery, but we had to rebrand. We had to rename. We had to reformulate. You know, if, if we hadn't gone through all of that, say we did have instantaneous success, like I'm sure we would have loved it and it would have been great, but it would not have been as sweet as it was having gone through what we went through and really being, I think success is as thin as a razor's edge and, and we fell on the right side of it with Halo Top fine, but we just as easily could have fallen on the other side and we wouldn't be sitting here talking uh, if that had happened. So. I certainly keep that perspective, but it, it was so surreal to just become the darling of the food and beverage industry there for a period of time. And it was, it was a wild ride. If we ever get there again with Gatsby or anything else, I think there are so many lessons to be learned um, where I, I think we really got out of our, our over our skis and, and started mismanaging our cash. And I kind of alluded to earlier, didn't have the foundation that I think you, you really need to be able to throw that type of scale on an organization. But I feel really confident now we have the foundation. So I, I really welcome, as I'm sure anybody would, I would welcome Gatsby even sniffing something close to the success that Halo Top had. I remember actually, like the first time I heard of Halo Top, a friend told me, you got to try this thing, Halo Top. You can eat the thing by the pint. It's so good. And it's only like 200 calories. And that was sort of like, that was the pitch that was given to me. And literally the same day I went to CVS, I want to say, and picked it up and all of a sudden, like I started seeing it everywhere and anywhere. If I went over a friend's place, they had they had Halo Top. So I feel like you guys were one of the first brands to really make a dent in the like better for you category in terms of food, drinks. Like now, there's so many brands that are trying to play in that space. I feel like Halo Top was really like the the market leader in the better for you category. Would you say that that's like an, an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. I think we did a number of really smart things. But I think the smartest thing we did, which now it's everybody does this or everybody in the better for you space does this, but we were the first to put our the calories per pint on the front of package, which nobody had done before because who wants to put 1200 calories uh, per pint, which what most of them were at the time. But that did exactly how you heard about Halo Top happen. That created a virality to it where everybody said, I've got to tell everybody and my mother about this product because it's the best thing since sliced bread. And I can eat an entire pint of ice cream and not feel terrible about myself for doing so. I think that the product fit within eating habits because your eating habit is not to take one spoonful of ice cream and put it away. Your, your eating habit usually is to eat too much and then you feel terrible that you ate that much. And it's this kind of terrible cycle. So th this was it kind of created a product that allowed you to eat how you wanted to eat, and then you wouldn't feel terrible about it. But I think it, it really comes back to that product quality is if it didn't taste good, if it didn't have the creamy texture and mouthfeel that at least was close to Haagen-Dazs and Ben and & Jerry's, I'll never say it was there or eclipsed it, but was close for the, the calories. I think that it didn't taste like punishment, like I think eating healthy can taste like sometimes. So I think that was critical uh, to our success. <laughs> What would you say was the hardest thing about growing that fast? And, you know, essentially, what, 50 million to 350 million, that's it's growing in such a multiple in such a short period, or even 2 million to 50 million. They say that building a business to a million dollars is very different than building a business to $10 million. And a $10 million business is very different than building a business to 100 million and so forth. I'm very intrigued by 
the challenges in each of those? Because that was really only like a three-year period. So I imagine you were faced with so many challenges from a leadership standpoint, but also just a business standpoint. Yeah, I think from a people standpoint, it was really challenging because we went from, again, a team of three really independent working people who really had no desire to be leaders or to be a CEO of 100 plus employees to we have to hire 100 people because we can't do what needs to be done without that. That was really challenging, uh, particularly, again, when there wasn't much foresight on our end, there wasn't much planning on our end for that. So we didn't have the foundation, like I said, that we needed. Uh, and then supply. You know, it's one thing to have the demand for $300 million, but how on earth do you supply it? And how do you scale your supply chain across packaging, across ingredients, across your manufacturers? It was incredibly challenging. And, and it was just drinking from a fire hose. This is, a lot of this is hindsight in terms of what I've learned or what I would do differently. But in the moment, there wasn't any thought to a uh, strategy. It was, I need to make as much of this product as I possibly can as soon as I can, because we are going to be out of stock uh, if I don't. And once you lose that initial sale, you'll never get it back because out of sight, out of mind. So for me, it was so critical to keep the shelves stocked as much as possible so that we never lost that initial sale when we were on that kind of really, we went viral is, is the best way to describe it uh, as a company, as a product. Mm. So anyways, the people in the supply were by far the biggest challenges, uh, and we made plenty of mistakes on both of those. Say less challenging, but we did make a plenty of mistakes, is, is what to do with cash once you have it. Because you go from being so overly protective with your cash to your swimming in money as a company, but then you start making really, really stupid spins and make a lot of stupid, or at least we did, a lot of stupid mistakes with how we spent our money. So I think that, again, knowing what I know now, we would do a lot of things differently with, with how we spent money once we got to a place where we were making money. Yeah. And I feel like there's not really a playbook, right? Because there are certainly companies that you could speak to who took them more like a hockey stick growth where they went from a million to a couple of million to 10 million, so on and so forth. But I don't know, really, there, there's not that many companies. If I really can't think of many companies that went from 2 million to 50. Like That's just an insane growth trajectory. Yeah, I haven't found another either. But it even if there was another, I guess I, I didn't know about it and certainly no playbook. Yeah. So we were, we were really making it up as we went along. But I, again, when there's so much to do like that, you don't, strategy kind of goes out the window because there is, there's no real time to think about strategy. You're just kind of, you know, playing whack-a-mole and, and trying to, to do what you can. I will say with our growth curve, one of the downsides to it was as well is other companies didn't know how to value us. We always mm -hmm. had wanted to exit our company. We, we didn't, you know, want to sell ice cream until we were 60 and we didn't, purposely were not Doug and Justin's ice cream like Ben and Jerry's were. We, we didn't want to identify the brand to be identified with us personally like that. So we always wanted to exit. But the problem was, again, no company knew how to value us when you go from two to 350. If we'd gone from two to 10 to 25 to 50, I think it would have been a heck of a lot easier to, to sell the company than two to 300. So that's another, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I say downside. I, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, obviously, but that was another challenge. Once you hit like 50 million to 350, were you already married? Did you already start a family at that point? Let's see. This 350 was 2017. Yeah. So I got married in 2015 and we had our first kid, Maxwell, in 2016. And then our second kid came around in 2018. But yeah, I, so that's, yeah, my personal life was, <laughs> was also going crazy in terms of I got married. I moved to Chicago. I had my first kid. So trying to be a husband and a dad and, 
I got into a really horrible place by the time we exited Halo Top where I really thought, I didn't really think much. I was just coming apart at the seams as a person. I didn't have anybody I could talk to because I had isolated myself at the company, didn't have a great network of, you know, other kind of founders, CEOs that, you know, had experienced the type of uh, scale that, that we had, hundreds of employees that I felt personally responsible for recruiting and, and making promises to, obviously, you know, wife, kid, mortgage, all of that. And we hadn't taken money off the table either. So, you know, there's this incredible, incredible weight that I felt on my shoulders. And I know heavy is the head that wears the crown, but that was a really dark time for me towards the end there uh, before we, again, really fortunately got to uh, an exit event that kind of made everything okay <laughs> in the end. Sounds like you have the weight of the world almost on your shoulders then. What would you say in terms of now in building Gatsby, are you doing differently from maybe just like a how you're spending your time both at work and at home? And I guess how you're going about even just building Gatsby as a whole. Number one, reprioritizing my life to be number one, husband, number two, dad, and, and number three, business owner. I think that was who knows what order that was in at any given time on any day, on any week in the old Halo Top. But I think being very deliberate now about that and making sure that, you know, my priorities don't get out of order again uh, is critical first and foremost. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's been really important. I, I keep talking about our team here with Gatsby and, and Halo Top International and what we're doing, but I, I've really tried and, and hopefully if, if you talk to any of the other team members, they would agree here to bring everybody else in with me to oversee the whole thing. And, and that's not to say that, you know, everybody you know, needs to do everything kind of thing. But it's just more of the vantage point, the perspective, like don't view it from supply chain. If you're in supply chain, don't view it from sales. If you're in sales or marketing or finance, you know, whatever the departments are, don't silo these departments, come up above all of them and look at all of them together, see how all the pieces fit together and, and understand it. That's been really important for me because now I think the team as a whole understands the bigger picture and they see things Maybe not like I see it, because I don't want yes people just to agree with me, but they at least see it from where I see it. And we can have really interesting, thoughtful conversations and even disagreements um, about what we should do and why. But we're at least all sitting there from the same vantage point, which which is critical. And and I, I definitely hadn't, it's not that I hadn't let people in. It takes a lot of effort to educate people about why we're doing what we're doing and, and what every department does. And, you know, again, making sure that people have a decent understanding of, of the bigger picture. And I very consciously did that this time around. And like I said, it's been two years in the making because it's not something that happens overnight, but I, I really think it's starting to pay dividends. And I feel like our team has has transcended to that same vantage point, you know, where we aren't siloed, where everybody, yes, we have our clear roles and responsibilities. And, and yes, it's a, a do your job type mentality. But at the same time, when a decision needs to be made, it's there aren't egos there that it's not, sales against marketing or sales against finance or supply chain against marketing or whatever it's we're all on the same team and what's the best decision for the team as a whole maybe that means if you're in supply chain you might have to work a little harder because we decided xyz or maybe if you're in sales we decided not to go into some account and you have to manage that relationship you at least understand the decision is not there's a purpose behind it and it, it, it fits in with what we're trying to do together that's been really helpful for me not being isolated where, you know, it's lonely at the top and all those types of phrases, which I certainly felt deeply and personally at old Halo Top. Makes complete sense. So obviously at Halo Top, you had to hire like crazy overnight, essentially. 
if someone's listening to this, how can they stand out or grab someone like you, your attention to stand out if they see a job or an opportunity that they want to pursue? I think the best way to stand out is most people don't ask, right? And I've always been on the mindset that the worst thing somebody can do is say no. I have no issues asking anybody, and this is business and personal. If I want something or I'm curious about something, I just have no issues asking a question. And if somebody says no, or if it's not the answer, I get like, whatever, I move on. It's no big deal. I think that you'd be surprised how something that simple will set you apart from 90% of the world. Just ask, number one. And and then the other thing, I, I think people get caught up in titles. I think people get caught up in salaries and people get caught up in equity. And the real thing is if you find people you want to work with, people who you trust and who trust you, it'll be the most rewarding, fulfilling thing you ever do. And if the money comes, which I hope it does, it'll be shared with everybody because you're all in it together. So I think it's finding that type of environment to where it doesn't feel like a job, where it doesn't feel like work on one hand and and personal life on the other, where it really just feels like it's all part of your life. And this is just yet another really fulfilling part of your life. It just happens to be your work. Uh, I think that's critical. I basically would say, don't search for a company, search for that feeling. And once you find it, hold on to it for dear life and continue to work with those people because I think that that's just all that matters. So there were obviously a lot of bits of gold in this episode. What would be your bits of gold on how to live a life with purpose? For me, I think it comes down to other people or living for other people, your family, your friends, your community. I think talk about micro purpose and macro purpose a lot with our team or macro purposes like the, you know, why are we here? What does it all mean? I don't know if I'll ever have an answer to that, but the, the micro purpose of why I get out of bed in the morning, I think it's pretty easy to answer. And it comes down to, you know, living your life, essentially, not just in service to others, but with others, I think is critical. And that's, that's at least where I find my micro purpose. And, and I think it, you know, if misery loves company, I think happiness loves community. So I think whichever side, whatever you're going through in life, because this too shall pass, as I saw an interview with Tom Hanks, and he said that about whether it's good or bad, I think having other people there with you who you care about, who care about you uh, is critical. And that's how you'll, or that's at least how I have found purpose. Love it. Where can people connect with you, follow you, go and buy the the Gatsby? Where can people get in touch? Yeah, it's gatsbychocolate.com is our website. Best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I essentially accept every single person who connects with me on LinkedIn. Message me. Uh, I love talking to the people. I love offering my two cents uh, whenever asked. It's just my two cents. It's not gospel, but Hit me up. I'd love to uh, connect. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Doug, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Danny. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. I love this episode so much. Doug went to school, became a lawyer, and left behind all the security and the safety in this high-paying job with so much potential, so much future stability to pursue his dream in working with a team and people he loved. You know, as you heard him say it, it didn't matter what he was working on. It didn't matter what he would be selling. He cared deeply about who he was working with and working with people he really enjoyed. And you could tell just how important that piece is in his life. The other piece that I absolutely loved in his story is that he just went for it. I mean, he really took a leap and went for it. But he went about it in a smart way. Although he jumped into it and just started building Halo Top, he took on side work. He took on a side hustle. He took on opportunity as a lawyer, practicing on the side to help make ends meet. He did that to probably free up some cash in his own business. But 
he balanced the risk with pulling in some income from other places. And I really applaud him for thinking about it and being strategic and just being very methodical about the way he went about building Halo Top in the early, early days. But I think the big lesson in Doug's story is to go for it. Whether it be a side hustle, a project that you're very passionate about, something you just want to try or explore, go for it. You need to start. If you never take that leap, you'll just never know. And if you never get started, well, you'll never get started. And it may feel overwhelming, but I want you to not focus on perfection. I want you to not focus on having this perfect plan. In fact, take a pen and paper out right now. If you have this idea that you have, make a brief plan to start. Figure out what you want to do, who you want to serve, what changes you want to make, whatever it may be. Write it down. And instead of focusing on perfection, just focus on starting. Focus on gathering data points. Focus on figuring out if you even like the thing that you want to do. But just start. And in three months from now, see where life brings you. Because when you first start, you start to get a lot of answers that you didn't have before starting. But the starting piece is absolutely the most critical. If you choose to start this week, let me know how it goes. I want to hear from you. Shoot me a message on Instagram at DanLevGoldberg or at the Bits of Gold podcast. Finally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I'll probably be reading it out on the show in the future. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day. And I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.